Welcome to the History Podcast, an educational podcast intended to engage student learning and also engage those history fans who just love American history. Without further delay, let's get to it. Welcome to the History Podcast. Uh, Today we have a special guest. Uh, I'm just so honored to have Gary Jones on the show today. Gary uh, is a fellow alum of Oklahoma Christian University. Currently, he is the Assistant Dean of Students there at OC. Uh, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Really glad to be here. Uh, You know, I would be I would be remiss if if I didn't mention that that Gary is is his title doesn't even come close to telling all that he does for our great university. Um, Gary is is also the the founder um, of of History Speaks, uh, a program there at uh, the university. Uh, Gary, could you tell us a little bit about History Speaks before we get going? Yeah, definitely. Uh, History Speaks um, started some years ago, I want to say maybe six or seven years ago, uh, with an idea uh, my wife and I were discussing about some ways of uh, being able to actually touch history. And the idea centered around the Little Rock Nine. And with Little Rock being just a couple of hours away, my father-in-law is from Little Rock. We started trying to work on some ways to see if we could actually bring uh, one of those individuals to campus. And what happened was we ended up bringing uh, two uh, members of Little Rock Nine, uh, Carlotta Walls Lanier and Dr. Terrence Roberts, to campus. Uh, we had no idea what it would become, uh, but our auditorium, which seats about 1,300 folks, packed out. Uh, we made it where it was free to the community, and uh, it was just a phenomenal deal. So we just kept doing it. And so over the course of, like I said, the last uh, maybe seven years, it has become the premier uh, Black History uh, Month event in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, as I mentioned, we started with two members of the Little Rock Nine, and then we uh, hosted Fred Gray and Claudette Colvin of the Montgomery Bus Boycott. Claudette Colvin being uh, Rosa Parks, kind of before Rosa Parks. She's actually the first person uh, to be arrested for refusing her seat. Problem is, Claudette Colvin was a, a 13-year-old uh, dark-skinned black girl who was known to have been having an affair with a married man, and so she couldn't be the face of the of the the, the movement um, a lot of people don't even realize that rosa parks who's planted on that bus um is not even named in the actual court case that overturns uh bus segregation fred gray was the attorney uh, not only for miss rosa parks but also for uh dr martin luther king uh in fact he's portrayed by he's portrayed by uh, cuba gooding jr in the movie selma um the year after that we brought in john carlos and tommy smith of the 68 Olympic uh, protests, uh, just powerful, powerful time with them. Um, we hosted Diane Nash, uh, the, the brains behind the March on Selma. Uh, she's also re- uh, recognized as the mother of the lunch counter sit-ins. Uh, she started, started those in Nashville uh, as well. Interesting tidbit about her, she was married to James Bevel. Uh, Bevel's primary job in the movement was to be King's speechwriter. Um, we've brought in... Um, I don't think who else. Oh, uh, represent not representative uh, ambassador uh, Andrew Young, uh, who literally was on the balcony with Martin Luther King Jr. when he was when he was assassinated. Uh, he's gone on to be the mayor of Atlanta and a U.S. ambassador and, and several other things. Phenomenal time with him. Um, we we hosted just on last year or this this past year uh, Raymond Santana of the Central Park Five. Oh wow. Um, yeah, we, we had uh, Raymond Santana with us. That was really, really powerful. Uh, the most recent uh, trauma uh, that we've, we've had, you know, there with us and uh, just a powerful, powerful time. Um, obviously, that was on the heels of the Ava DuVernay uh, Netflix uh, docuseries, so to speak, uh, When They See Us. Yes. And then uh, maybe and then maybe one of our uh, most powerful uh, guests uh, who kind of fell in the middle of that lineup was a guy who we'll talk about a little bit today by the name of Wheeler Parker Jr. Uh, Wheeler Parker is the last living eyewitness uh, and cousin to the uh, murder of Emmett Till. Um, and so he, he was with us and shared his story uh, maybe about three years ago. And it was extremely, extremely moving. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, this discussion that we're going to have today. And, 
no better person to have on than Gary Jones. And today's topic uh, is going to be the Emmett, Emmett Till story. And this is one of those stories that I, I personally believe uh, doesn't get enough airtime uh, in the civil yeah. rights movement. And um, when you look at public education curriculum, it's nowhere mentioned. And I just feel like Emmett's story deserves to be told um, because uh, he was a 14 year old boy. And uh, yeah, the, these types of things, I, I do want to, I do want to kind of preface this conversation by saying these types of events that are going to happen to Emmett, were not unique to Emmett in the South. Uh, Correct. And so I, I just want to kind of have this discussion with you. I'm going to turn it over to you and just let you talk about the story of Emmett Till. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I think it's important that we we contextualize this a little bit and understand that Emmett is actually closer to thirteen than he is fourteen. Uh, he 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 he's murdered in August. Uh, had just had a birthday in July. If if, if uh, I want to say July twenty fifth was was his birthday. Um, so uh, just yeah, let's 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 just look at the family here. Um, Emmett is the son of a lady by the name of Mamie uh, Teal. Um, his dad is a guy named Louis Teal. Now, we don't know much about Louis Teal until Emmett Teal is murdered. And, and uh, if I forget, don't let, me, don't let me forget to come back to dad. It's a very interesting Absolutely. piece there. Um, so Emmett is a kid. He's growing up in Chicago um, with his family. His mom was, was born uh, in Mississippi. A lot of families around that time um, left what we call the great migration in history, right? Uh, most of your blacks who currently live in uh, Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland, St. Louis, Los Angeles, um, all have roots in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. Uh, the great migration is when um, slavery's ended and, Jim, uh, and, and sharecropping has kind of began to phase out. We're really at the, the heart of, of Jim Crow um, in the early 20s, right? We see uh, a lot of, of black excellence taking place in the Harlem Renaissance in New York. So word has trickled back down to the South that there is opportunity for blacks. So a lot of blacks migrated uh, migrated North and, and, and further West. But uh, I think any, any black family that you would know in, that, uh, in any of those cities, if you, if you go back a couple of generations, their, their roots are in the South. Um, so maybe a part of the great migration. She leaves, uh, uh, Mississippi migration to Chicago. Um, and she begins to, you know, try to start, start life there, uh, in, in Chicago, uh, Illinois. Um, she, she gives birth to, to, uh, Emmett. Um, and I think in, in 1941, I think it's important that you understand that Emmett is not born into a perfect society. I think a lot of times it's easy to think that uh, the South was was uh, rigid and, and, and racist and that the North was just this land of bliss and land of, of greatness with no issues. And that's so far from the truth. Um, racism, uh, it just looked different. Uh, Brian Stevenson is quoted as saying that slavery never ended, it just evolved. And I think it evolves in the North uh, before it does in the South. One of the things that the North presented was an opportunity not to be free of racism, but to have a chance to have some economic uh, opportunity, right? It's one, it's one of the big uh, issues that we see between the, the, the Booker T. Washington and the W.B. Du Bois conversation, right? Booker T. says to Blacks, uh, as, as slavery is ending, um, you don't need to argue about rights to vote and your civil rights. Just get a trade, earn some money, and you can eventually earn your way or pay your way almost he says out of out of uh, the situation whereas wb du bois says no i want my rights i want i want to vote i don't want to work at the restaurant i want to own the restaurant and so uh, in the north you find some economic opportunity but there's still some issues uh one, one huge uh maybe maybe a case of evidence to support such is lorraine hansberry's book raising in the sun uh that book is written um in 1959, it's 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 actually a play. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a book that's that's uh, made into a stage play. But uh, Lorraine Hansberry writes this book, and 
it is it's it's troubling um it's it, it's set somewhere between 54 and 59 but it's about a black family in chicago who's living in poverty who's living in all these bad situations they work really hard to save up all this money all these life savings uh the the the, the patriarch of the family has died uh dad has uh, the, the son is taking care of mom and the family. They raise all this money and they go to try to buy this house. Uh, but the house is in a white neighborhood. And long story short, they end up losing the money. They end up losing everything uh, because of the fact that uh, housing laws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and they it, it was racism. They didn't want them in the neighborhood. Uh, the guy who ended up being their broker, this white guy kind of swindled them out of the money. Just saw him as some dumb Negroes. Um, so Chicago was not free of racism. But I, I would make the argument that Emmett being a, a kid was maybe naive a little bit to what was going on around him. Um, the summer of 1955 uh, happens and Emmett is about to go south. Um, Wheeler Parker Jr., who we had on campus, who's, who was older than Emmett, uh, told us that he, that he and Emmett and they, they had a, a, uh, a third cousin who who went down uh, with them? Uh, Simeon Wright was his name, um, and in fact, there's a great book called Simeon's Story that if you ever get a chance to to pick up, uh, it's it's really worth the read. But the three of them were going to uh, visit family in Money, Mississippi. Now, it's important to understand that that uh, Simeon and uh, Wheeler did not want Emmett to go. Didn't want Emmett to go. They thought Emmett was too playful. They thought he was a bit of a pest. Um, they always seemed to get in trouble when he was around. He wasn't a bad kid. He just was too, he was just a lot to kind of watch. You know, it's almost yeah. like a, a younger cousin. You got to just kind of keep your eyes on. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, they decide that they're going to go and visit family uh, in Money, Mississippi. Now, just to pause for just a moment, I think we have to realize the, the timing here. All right. Summer of 1955, uh, just one year prior, 1954, uh, Brown versus Board of Education um, makes the, the Supreme Court makes a decision that uh, segregation amongst public schools uh, is is now illegal. Uh, separate but equal is not actually equal. Uh, this is where we see. Uh, Thurgood Marshall really come to the to the forefront here uh, as a lead uh, attorney there uh, in this case. And so the South is really, 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 really uh, buzzing. You know, um, they're going to have to integrate schools um, and, and nobody likes that. Uh, you, you're starting to see that some legal wins are, are starting to be won. Um, really what Brown versus Board of Education did was was overturn uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, and it really, really, I, I think a lot of people in the South could start to see that things were going to start unraveling here really, really slowly. Um, in slavery, uh, or and even in Jim Crow, education was the biggest piece that 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 uh, you wanted to keep from oppressed people. Once they began to read, become educated, they, they, they could realize that what was happening to them shouldn't be happening to them. Yeah. So, and you know, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but no, you're good. The, you know, just to back up that point, you know, when you read through the transcripts, the court transcripts of, of the Emmett Till trial, one of the, mm -hmm. one of the witnesses is Willie Reed. And right. uh, when he's questioned, they ask him how old he is. He says he's 18. They ask him what they follow that question with what grade is he in? And he says ninth grade. And, right. and so that shows you how the imbalance existed in education uh, oh, yeah. between white and black. Uh, I mean, the, he's an 18 year old ninth grader. Uh, that's exactly right. And, but sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I mean, you look at the Tuskegee uh, syphilis experiment. It happens because there is no education, yep. they, you know, and that starts in the forties. You, you go down to, they, they cross-reference uh, the, they were looking for the lowest level of poverty and education a level and they find it in, in down in Tuskegee in that county and they go down and, and they literally hand these men documents and have them sign it. And they tell them that they have bad blood. You know, well, if you ask my grandfather, bad blood was anything from a cold to a terminal disease. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, but they couldn't read. And that, that lack of education literally wiped out an entire 
uh, county of, of families. And, and I mean, they use those men as literal guinea pigs to see what syphilis would do to the black body. Uh, but again, to your point, because there was a lack of education. Um, so if we, we, we get to 55 and they go down. Uh, before, to, before we get before we get to. Yeah. To Mississippi. Kind of take us through the mindset of Mamie Till, the conversations that Mamie had yeah. with Emmett prior to, because we, I mean, we all know that th these conversations have to be had. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> and so kind of take Definitely. us through that. Yeah. So, so the conversations uh, in, in a, in a black family, uh, whether we're looking at early 19 or mid 1950s, or even now in real time are very different than those that are had with our counterparts. Um, just to kind of even frame that, actually, it made myself a note. The story of Emmett Till was probably one of the first stories that my parents told me as a little kid, as I was being taught a list of other uh, social norms that I had to abide by that my white friends didn't have to abide by. Correct. Um, simple things like getting on an elevator uh, with a white lady alone or keeping my hands in my pocket in the store so I'm not accused of stealing or driving with my wallet in the cup holder because I never want to be accused of reaching for something. Um, but Mamie, Mamie knows full well what she's left in Mississippi. And in fact, the, the, the story is told that Emmett was a lat, he was a late addition to the trip. She kind of went back and forth on whether or not she wanted him to go um, as well. But um, she, she, she really had to, she had to, uh, she had to trust in Wheeler and she had to trust into uh, trust in Simeon as well that they would look after him. And so when those two were going, you know, it really, really had to uh, give her some 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 assurances that she thought he would be uh, OK. Uh, one of the interesting things about the conversation that she has with him is she, she explains to him what he's going to face. Uh, she explains to him that that some of his playful nature won't be welcomed there. Uh, she explains to him that he needs to stay uh, on the family's property. Um, she, she, but she also gives him this ring from his dad. Uh, and that ring actually is, is important because it's one of the things that helps to identify him later on. Uh, but it's a ring uh, with LT uh, inscribed in it. And, and, and that's dad's initials, uh, Louis Teal. Now, Emmett doesn't know much about dad. Um, but he, he, but he knew that dad was a military guy and he just kind of thought dad died in the war. And that's not, yeah, that's not necessarily what happened, you know, to, to, to dad. Um, it, uh, and this may be a good place to have that conversation. So, so dad is, dad is a, um, dad is a soldier, you know, uh, he, he yeah. goes over, um, and, um, he, he, he's fighting, uh, World War II, which would have been about maybe about ten years earlier, um, but he wasn't he wasn't killed in combat. Uh, Lewis Till was actually executed in '45 by the U.S. Army, um, and he was he was found guilty of murder and sexual assault. Now, this the details um, of what happened to him don't become public even to the family until Emmett's trial. It, it's kind of, it's kind of a, he had to be a deviant because his daddy was a deviant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, type of situation. And, and there's even been some things kind of later on down uh, historically that have kind of, kind of implied that maybe dad was, was kind of uh, wrongfully uh, accused or wrongfully um, convicted. Uh, but it's interesting you know, how, how those two fates kind of were tied together um, as well. So she's having these conversations with him um, and she gets him, uh, rushes and gets him to the train station uh, on, it would have been, had to be August 20th. Correct. Because he's only there four days. Um, so he gets on the train. Um, and if you know anything, you know, about riding a train, it takes a good while to get there. He doesn't get there actually to the, uh, to the 21st. Uh, so he gets there and he's he's there with uh, his uncle. It's his great uncle, Moses Wright. Now, a lot of people will refer to this relationship as his grandfather. It's not really his grandfather. It's his great uncle, Moses Wright. Um, 
but they kind of refer to him as the grandfather. Typically in black families, especially in, in that era, the oldest black patriarch would be, be kind of become that grandfather uh, for for everybody. Um, so mind you, this is this is Mamie's side of the family. This isn't dad's side of the family. So these are folks that he knows. It's people that you know he's excited to be around. Um, and this is not uncommon, right? This is not uncommon to make this trip. I can recall growing up in the in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, uh, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. We would make a trip. My mom is from Senatobia, Mississippi. We would make a trip every summer, driving almost 20 hours to go see family in Mississippi. So almost kind of like a cultural rites of passage uh, yeah. to keep going back every summer. Well, and for Emmett, you know, hit the court records show that that Mamie was asked the question, had he ever been to Mississippi before? And she had said, right. yes, he was there when he was nine. He was there when he was mm -hmm. four or five. And then once as an infant. So this was like his fourth trip down. Correct. 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 And, and, and one of the things, and, and you bring a very good point, I think it's important that we realize too, is that this is kind of the first time that he goes as like a quasi teen. Yes. You know, I'm a, you're a totally different person at nine. At, at 13, 14, you start kind of, you know, feeling yourself a little bit and you know you're, you're different <laughs> different yeah. person yeah um so they get there and um uncle moses they live in money but money is a very rural kind of area um it, it's kind of like they live kind of where two plantations butt up um to to each other um a, I take a group of students on an annual civil rights movement tour over spring break. And um, I kept saying that one year we were going to stop in money as we travel, you know, around. And I just never could get the time where the daylight was, was, you know, proper to stop. Well, one year it worked out for us and we stopped. And when I tell you, it was the most eerie feeling. Mm. Uh, I've ever had in my life. We're driving. We're actually going in between. We're, we're going from Memphis to Jackson to kind of detour going there. And um, it, it, it's not money's not even really on your your GPS. Um, we lose kind of reception of everything. And so I tell my driver, we'll just drive for another mile or two. And if we see nothing, we'll get out of here. I mean, because it's getting really creepy. And in the middle of nowhere, you 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 pull up on the the remnants of the Bryant's grocery store. Mm. And we got off and just took it in and took pictures and it it was it was so oh man I, it was one of those feelings that I never have to have that feeling again in life to know exactly what it felt like yeah um felt like and, and there are miles and miles of nothingness but you just feel like somebody's watching you so Emmett's there for about three days uh, gets to to uh, Go to the, the store with a group of his his, his cousins and um, and they they, they go. to to clarify they while he's down there he goes to work with with his uncle Mose right he they they, yes. they help pick cotton and and so to kind of reward themselves one That's day exactly right. they they drive into into town to to go to the store. That's exactly right. Now and, and that was that was the the normal daily practice kind of you know. Here you can go in and spend a little bit of your earnings before, because again, it, it wasn't kind of in our context. You can just kind of go a couple blocks down to the store, or whatever. This was kind of like we're going back to our our side of town and we're staying in, you know, uh, for the day. Back then, you still had you still had sundown rules where blacks had to be indoors before the sun went down. Yeah, uh, so you kind of had to do all of your bidding before you know before it got too dark. Um, so uh, to that point, this was not his first time at the store. Uh, this was this was their routine, but again, he'd only been there a couple of days, so it's not like he he was known there. Yeah, uh, he'd only been there a couple of days, so he goes to their store, and uh, the store is owned. It's called Bryant's Store because it's owned by Roy and Carolyn Bryant, and um, they go in. And now, mind you, this this store, there's nothing else in that area but sharecroppers. So their normal clientele is sharecroppers. So they would have seen black kids all the time. Yes. Um, goes to the store and uh, uh, Wheeler says that he buys some gum and some candy. And Emmett makes the, the, the statement to them uh, 
I'm going to whistle at this lady. And they tell him, don't, don't, don't. This ain't the time to play. Just let's not do this. Um, well, what happens is as they're going back and forth, Emmett explains to Wheeler, uh, this is, you know, no, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make a little whistle. And he demonstrates the whistle in their conversation. And um, they think nothing of it. They leave the store. Um, and because they, in their minds, they stopped Emmett from actually whistling at the lady. He was trying to be funny, trying to get her attention. That lady happened to be Carolyn Bryant, the owner of the store. And um, they go home. And a couple of days later, uh, it would have been the 28th. Um, so about four days later, um, some men come and they knock on the door. And according to uh, Wheeler Parker's cousin, he knew immediately who the men were and what they were there for. Yeah. He said they, they, he, could, he could feel Carolyn Bryant looking at them. Um, but, you know, in their minds, we had stopped Emmett from trying to be funny. But they knew exactly, exactly what it was. Now, mind you, we're talking about a time where you could not make eye contact with a white person if you were black. You could not walk on the sidewalk. Uh, if I'm walking on the sidewalk and you begin to walk on the sidewalk, the law said I had to get off the sidewalk and walk on the street until you went past. Then I could get back on the sidewalk. Yes. So just that level of, of, of servitude and, and uh, subhuman you know, behavior, um, they knew that something didn't sit right. So Well, apparently... Uh, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but so they leave the store and as they're leaving the store, they're, they're kind of huddled out there on the porch of the correct. store and Carolyn Bryant walks through them. Okay. Correct. And that's important because she's going to later testify that, that he assaulted her. But if they assaulted her, then why would she walk, feel so confident to walk through the crowd of boys? Um, but anyways, and correct. she's going to her car to get a pistol. Well, and this, and this is the other part that, that the wheeler, the wheeler would, would tell you that the the when she walked through the crowd, because there were actually some young ladies in that crowd as well. Yes. When she walked through the crowd, she didn't even really come in the vicinity of the guys, right? Now, because because think about this, it was it was it was thought of to be just the 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 worst thing in the world to touch a black person. So she walked through the young ladies. That was a little more socially acceptable. Than touching a black man, yeah, right, yeah. So, when when she makes that assertion that he he bumped her or that he made contact, it's it's I mean it, it's so faulty on so many levels. Um, so yes, yeah, she follows him out. Um, and and the, but again, but because she never makes contact with him or even the guys themselves, they kind of think, "Woo, crisis averted." But they get scared and they they hop in the car and speed off as quickly as get they can out of there because they know That's she's going for the right. pistol. That's exactly right. They they go back and they tell Uncle Moses. Uncle Moses says, "You know what? Y'all not leaving his house." Um, and and then uh, that that morning of the twenty eighth, um, some men come and knock on the door. Now, a it's lot of folks pitch pitch dark of like two pitch dark. It's about between two and three in the morning. Yep, come and knock on the door, and a lot of people uh, will try to Monday morning quarterback their situation and say, "Well, why did Uncle Moses open the door?" Yeah. Well, there, there, there are a lot of reasons when he opened that door. Uh, one, if he didn't open it, they were coming through it. Um, but two, he saw a familiar face at the door. Um, Wheeler Parker Jr. attests to and confirms that there was a black man with them when they came. Um, and, you know, and he, in, in fact, in, in fact, this, um, you may have read some stuff recently about the FBI kind of reopening the case. Yes. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing here is that that black man is still living. Um, and I, I, I think, say that again. His nickname was Too Tight. Too Tight. Yes, exactly right. So, so, so the interesting part is that, you know, just the irony of this all is when, when you just, you know, you just, when you decide uh, le legally, you want to try to quote unquote do the right thing. Uh, you go, you go after this guy, uh, you know, out of everybody there. Now he's there because he has a sharecropping debt and, uh, he has two choices. You go and knock on this door or we kill you. Yep. 
So he goes and he knocks on the door. And uh, Uncle Moses opens the door. He can see the other men behind him. It's no secret what's going on. And he, he tries to, you know, keep them from getting to Emmett. Well, Wheeler is in the bed right next to him. And um, he's, he, he says that he, he knew exactly, you know, when they came and got him, when they got Emmett, no one tried to, you know, as the, the kids, they didn't try to stop him because they knew they would have all been killed. Um, but he said it was the, he knew right then that they would never see him alive again. Yeah. So, and just to kind of walk you through this, you know, Moe's right opens the door mm -hmm. after they declare themselves. Okay. And, and so when he opens the door, he sees in the right hand, he sees a pistol in the left hand, he sees a flashlight and Correct. you see a pistol. I mean, th th there's, there's not a whole lot you can do at this point. I mean, you have two decisions. You either try to shut the door and risk getting killed, or, you know, you see what they want or need. Um, but as he starts, he basically says, we're here for the, the Chicago boys, how he referred to Emmett. Exactly. Exactly. And so they go through room by room and they go to the first room where Wheeler Parker was. He wasn't in there because they had a description because Emmett was kind of chubby. Right. Exactly. And so they, they see Wheeler Parker in there. That's not him. They go to the next room. They see Simeon right in there. That's not him. Then they go to the third room where they had put Emmett with the baby of the family because Moe's had like mm -hmm. 12 12 kids uh and you know only the the younger ones were still living in the house but that's where they put Emmett was with the youngest one and that's where they found Emmett uh in that third bedroom and that's when Mose Wright realizes you know he's he's got to try to negotiate and see if they can just get him off with what Mose Wright called a, a good whipping and turn him loose um, yeah, and that's, and, you know, and the other the other part of that when they asked for the Chicago boy um, is that that's very interesting to me is is the mindset there. It's it's um, they're in, in essence saying, give us the one that ain't from around here. Yes, we'll leave the rest of us alone because because again, and, and they're they're thinking it's so warped. We'll take this kid that ain't from around here and do something with him, but you all go back to business as usual because I need you to keep making money, sharecropper. Yeah, uh, that's so I mean, bizarre like, to me. It's, 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 it's crazy. Um, yeah, super crazy. So they, they, they take him. Um, and I do want to say one, one quick thing yeah. before we go on because I think this is important to, uh, to Moe's right. I'm fascinated by Moe's right. I wish there was more on Moe's right available because he's such a strong figure and he's so helpless in this situation. He is trying to negotiate with these two white men. There's a third guy, as you've already mentioned. Uh, they believe he was he was black, but they he Moe's couldn't get a real good look at him uh, because it was mm -hmm. it was dark and he he kind of kept his head down, as Moe's right said. Um, right, and that's what made him believe that it was. Uh, a Southern black guy because his head was down and, and that's kind of the disposition that many of them that's exactly. are forced to be yep. in. But he, he pleads with them to not take him and you know, mm -hmm. give him a good whipping and then turn him loose. We're going to send him back to Chicago, you know, you know, and, and his wife too is pleading with him, but he, mm -hmm. it was JW Milam that turns and looks at uh, to Moses Wright and says, how old are you pastor? Which, he was also a preacher, not just a sharecropper. And right. Moses says, I'm, I think he said, I'm 64. And he says, if you want to live to 65, keep your mouth shut about this. And they, they take him off. And, and that's uh, the last day they see of Emmett. Yep. Yeah. He, it, uh, Moses Wright was a pastor. In fact, Wheeler Parker is a, is a Kojic pastor. Uh, that's, that's still kind of the family, uh, tradition lineage uh you know family of, of clergymen um yeah so they, they they take him and um until later there wasn't much known about kind of what and where uh but there, there's a shed um that that he was taken to and and, and essentially tortured um and um in fact, not too long ago, uh, and, I, and I mean within the last maybe few years, a, I want to say a dentist in that area purchased a property and uh, it had a shed on it. Never kind of looked into it. One day he got, he's got some time to go out and start cleaning it out. 
opens it up and he and he said it says that he looks like somebody was literally like somebody was killed in there mm. and uh they come in and do some testing or whatnot and it, it it was the actual shed where they tortured him um uh which that guy has actually turned that over kind of just for some um historical purposes you know as well but uh they go and they torture him and they torture him uh they eventually uh just you know uh after he's 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 gone. They they uh they dump him in the Tallahatchie River, um, and I want to say that there is a a um oh not an engine a transmission. Well, it was a it was a uh, uh, a cotton gin fan. That's yep. They tied it around his neck, seventy five pounds. Around his neck. So yep. So he, so he was stay down. I, I I couldn't remember what they tied to him, but that that kept him from from uh. From, from being found for a while and um, just to kind of push through a little bit, he's, he's discovered and um, it, you know, it, it's, it, it's time. Uh, this is, I want to say maybe September um, and, and, and his body's going to come back to Chicago uh, for, for services. And Mamie Teal makes the decision that she wants an open casket. And she's real real quick before we go any further on that, because this is this right here is prototypical of of the South. Mm -hmm. So after they find his body, a fisherman finds his body. uh, Mose Wright identifies it as as Emmett Till. They take it to Mm -hmm. the coroner uh, um, and they're going to try to bear the the sheriff there, the sheriff in town. extremely i mean he is the like if you the poster boy of racism if you if you want to make a movie about a racist sheriff he is the guy he's this oversized really fat chews tobacco wears a a cowboy just but he makes the decision that the body is going to be buried quickly they want to bury it in mississippi quickly and that's when word gets back to mamie till and till says you're not burying my baby in mississippi he's coming back to chicago so go ahead exactly Exactly. Um, and it's, and it's actually, uh, it's actually probably one of the most powerful moments in the, in the movement when she makes this decision. Um, the body comes back to Chicago and she tells them, um, that she's going to have an open casket and the folks, uh, at, uh, Rainer and Sons family, uh, funeral home, try to, you know, kind of talk her out of it because Emmett's, face is extremely disfigured yeah um you you you'd have no idea uh unless you you saw him beforehand what you were looking at or who you were looking at rather and she makes a decision i want them to see what they did to my baby and so thousands of folks uh flood for for this funeral uh the photo makes the cover of uh jet magazine yeah yep um and it is it is often referred to by several people as the spark that lit what we what we know as as, as the civil rights movement. Now, <clears throat> let's be let's be unequivocally clear: there were things taking place beforehand. Uh, we just talked about the Brown versus Board of Education, but this this kind of uh, this kind of woke up the folks up north to say, "Hey, man, folks need your help in the South." Um, it was really important. 55 is going to prove to be a really, really, really powerful year uh, with the movement. Later on in 55, uh, uh, December 55 is when we will we will see the Montgomery bus boycott starting to take 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 aim. Um, 1954, uh, just before this, we see Martin Luther King arriving at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 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 uh montgomery alabama you know as a young 26 year old guy uh and so a lot of a lot of things are happening all at once but this photo uh it it literally sets the world on fire and and it's 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 uh it's hard to look at it's very difficult very difficult to look at and and for our listeners out there i mean you can find these photos on the internet i mean it was it was published by jet magazine uh also the chicago defender and, and things like that so it, it goes nationwide mm-hmm. 
And like you mentioned, you know, his funeral service, they estimate there were 50,000 people there. Yep. 50, I mean, not all of them could fit into the church. And so there was this massive crowd outside of the church um, there in Chicago where uh, they each got the opportunity to see Emmett Till's body one last time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it, 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 it was an eye opening moment. Um, got a quote here from Mamie. Let me, here it is. Just two months ago, I had a nice apartment in Chicago. I had a good job. I had a son. When something happened to the Negroes in the South, I said, that's their business, not mine. Now I know I was wrong. I was. The murder of my son has showed me that what happens to any of us anywhere in the world had better be the business of us all. And, 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 and that really just encapsulates just how the movement used the murder of Emmett Till to springboard uh, other action. Um, uh, Fred Shuttlesworth, who, who's one of Dr. King's, you know, close confidants uh, working there, down in, he actually was kind of the man in, in the in the Birmingham area, but he, he referred to, to Emmett's murder as, as the concrete, you know, of, of the movement. It was the foundation to kind of get things uh, rolling, but it was it, it, one of the more difficult photos to ever look at. Um, um, Emmett's 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 body. Um, needless to say, or maybe it's not needless to say, these these men are are taken to 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 trial. Um, and what 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 happened in that day happened. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're what's, what's interesting to me, Gary, is. So they're they're charged eventually, and I think it was mainly due to pressure uh, nationwide. Locally, they oh, weren't yeah. pressuring them to, to to indict these guys. But no, the government yeah. stepped in and made them do it. Yeah, so they're charged. You know, the pressure from the NAACP, which Mississippians cannot stand the NAACP. They they always feel like they're just trying to disrupt things. But they they charge J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant with kidnapping and murder. Okay, Correct. but what I find interesting, Gary, and, and I want you to kind of talk about this a little mm-hmm. bit, if you don't mind, but I, I find it almost comical that the trial happens uh, within weeks of of the the indictment. Yeah. Right. So they're yeah. charged with kidnapping and murder. And then the, the trial begins almost Come immediately. Later. It starts on September 19th of 55. Yeah. I mean, the body was just found on August 28th, and now you're already going to trial on September 19th. Talk it about September, the strategy yeah. for the South behind that. So September 1st, because uh, the time, I, and I'm, I, I meant to bring this up when you uh, referenced maybe stepping in to get that body back. That's September 2nd. September yeah. 1st is when the governor steps in and says, now think of that window. 28th, you come and get him. By September 1st, Right, he's been found, and the governor is saying, "No, no, you need to prosecute these guys." Mamie says the next day, "Get my son out of here." Right. Um, by the nineteenth, we're already at, at, at trial. It, it was it was a it was par for the course. It was what happened in that day in the South. It, it was it was. Um, I don't want. I don't. A, a lot of people in in modern times will say that it's, you know we have a broken system. And I, I disagree with that. Um, the boy says you cannot get from a system that which it was not designed to give. I think the system is working. It was working the way it was set up to work. Yeah, that's um, a good point. You, you, you. It was, it was a, it was a. Let's dot our eyes across our t's. Um, I mean, you, you look at a couple of weeks later. We're, we're in trial. Uh, the trial lasts just a couple of days. The jury, right? The jury deliberates one hour, literally. Yeah. They said that they one of the jurors later said they already knew what they wanted to do. Uh, the only reason that they they were deliberating for an hour is because they wanted to make it look like they were actually talking about stuff. So they just sat and had sodas yeah. instead of actually talking about the case. Uh, t- let's talk about the the within the case. One of the there, there's there's three there's three witnesses that they bring to the stand. The, the prosecutors bring to the stand that I think are important, historically speaking. Number one, they bring Mose Wright. 
okay, or Moses, right, oh. is his official name. Um, right. But they bring Moses, and Moses asked, can you identify the men you saw at your door? And, and kind of allude to what he does here, because this, this is a big moment. Well, you got to keep in mind um, that in that time, and, and, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I, I kind of talked about um, the fact that you couldn't look them in the eye. You couldn't stand on the, on, on the, uh, on the sidewalk with them. You couldn't really, really, you know, re- refer to them. Um, you couldn't really do any of those things, right? And so uh, one of the things that Moses Wright does that pretty much signs a, a death certificate for him, uh, which after the trial, he and uh, uh, Willie Reed are, are, are taken away to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Willie Reed literally, uh, according to uh, according to Wheeler Parker, Willie Reed gets off the train and literally passes out, like has a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Um, but Moses, when he's asked, he he stands up and he points. Great moment, you know. Yeah, and he, I mean, in his broken English, he's like, you know, there, there he, you know, he's trying to say, there he, this is him, this is the guy right here, and that is that is probably, um, sh- short of actually getting a conviction, which wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, that was probably the most powerful thing that could have happened for that family. For that, for a for their black family patriarch to stand up and exercise his right as a man, his that was a that was a moment of de- defining his manhood for Moses Wright. Uh, that that was more than just you know being a uh, a witness or you know that was I've lived all my life in servitude. <clears throat> you know, we're talking about a guy who's a former uh, slave sharecropper. You know, who who he stands up and looks a white man in the face and points at him and says. You are wrong. You did this. You are at fault, and and that that was just the unthinkable, um, to 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 do that. But, um, in fact, it was so bad. If if memory serves me correctly, Moses Moses' wife wasn't even there because uh, they he put her on the train before the trial. Yeah, and told him told her he would meet her in Chicago when he was done. Yeah, and all the kids. I mean. It- and so leading up to the trial, I think this is also important to kind of understand the dangers that Moe's right was putting himself in to do what's right. He, he was hiding out. He was, he was stopping in different, he wouldn't sleep in his home. Like he, he, there was, there's accounts where he, he talks about how he slept one night in a cemetery in his car. Uh, he moved around to different places, slept in churches. He was, he was on the run because he knew that if they could get to him before he took the trial, they'd kill him. And so he, I think that's important to understand in terms of the danger that that Moe's Wright was putting himself in to to stand up to these two men. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know if any other time before that, that a black that a black man accused a white man in open court and lived, you know. Uh, yeah, but, but it was it was huge. It was it was it was powerful. Really, really powerful. And, you know, one of the things that I always has stood out to me when you hear Mamie talk about each day going to the courthouse. Um, she, she referred to a scene that always stuck with her and it's an image that's burned in my mind that I can't ever get out. It's she's, she talks about how she, she got out of the car. She's walking up to the courthouse and there's all these white Mississippians all throughout mm-hmm. the jam packed outside. And she looks up, and there's these windows that are opened and you, there's these little, little white boys and their dads are up there and they're, they've got these little toy guns and they've got them aimed at Mamie and they're shooting and the dads are laughing. Um, right. And, you know, just, just the, the sheer fear that Mamie and Mose and Willie Reed and all these witnesses, these, these black Southerners, black miss, well, besides Mamie, these black Mississippians who are having to go, into a courtroom uh, and testify, uh, it, it speaks to the psychology of Jim Crow, I think. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. You know, well, the, the, I think we, we often focus on the, the economic side and the political uh-huh. side of Jim Crow, but we don't talk enough about <clears throat> the psychological damage that Jim Crow right. not only did in the short term to African-Americans in the South and even nationwide, but long term. 
Yeah, know? well, and Jim, I mean, it was so, so jacked up. I mean, even you look at you look at this trial. I mean, there, there, uh, 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 Wright and 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 um, and Willie Reed have to go back to Mississippi because they refused to 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 have to to bring up both charges at the same time. The initial trial is just for the murder, um, and they're acquitted of the murder. They go back in November uh, of '55, same year, and both have to testify. And and Bryant and uh, uh, Willie Reed, Willie, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, oh goodness, uh, Milam, Bryant and Milam are both uh, acquitted of, of of kidnapping. So there's there's no way you're gonna you're gonna you know get them on kidnapping charges if you acquitted them of the murder a couple months ago. Right. Suppose if they weren't there and didn't do it. Um, but you talk about the mental anguish of, of having to go back to Mississippi and try one more time to try to get, you know, some some uh, some justice. And it just it didn't happen. What wasn't going to happen. Um, but that was that would be the last time that Mose Wright and, and Willie Reed would ever uh, go to Mississippi. And, you know, in part, you know, another safety. Another component of this uh, this trial was when Mamie Till got on the stand. And as I'm looking through the the, the court transcripts, mm-hmm. uh, I found it interesting uh, that the first part of her uh, testimony was without the jury, mm-hmm. and and so the jury had uh, been relieved for the moment. And they start to ask her basic questions, who she is, where she's from, you know, how long has she been there? Has she ever, you know, all these, these who, what, where, when questions. And then they start to really pepper her with questions about photographs that she has of, of Emmett. And they're, they're trying to lay the groundwork that we can't be certain that that's even Emmett Till's body. Right? Correct. And so the, the one thing that she brings up, that was the identifying piece was the ring that you mentioned earlier that Lewis Till yep. uh, had, and it was delivered back to them. She gives it to Emmett. Emmett, that's the only thing that he brought with him in terms of belongings uh, mm-hmm. uh, on his persons when he went down to Mississippi. Well, and then they go into asking her questions that um, go into conversations she may have had with Emmett prior to going down to Mississippi. And they're, they're almost questioning what kind of mother would send her son down to Mississippi mm-hmm. and, and putting the blame on her. And they, they asked her about all these questions that she, she asked him and, and um, topics she discussed in terms of, right. you know, like you mentioned earlier, stepping off the sidewalk when you see a white woman coming your way. Um, well, they, they won't allow these questions to be uh, brought in when they bring the jury back in. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the Mm -hmm. judge who's working with this defense team. Oh, definitely. Even though they will never admit it. Didn't want the jury to hear a mother talk about warnings that she gave to her son about how. Yeah. I have a very hard time believing that the prosecution Um, wasn't a part uh, of, of the because it, 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 you, after that, yes. I, I've always wanted to know why Milam and Bryant don't have to take the stand. You know what? You, you can't yes. tell me that you don't you don't put those guys in the stand and ask them where they were that day and what they were doing. I mean, something to have on the record that you can use to kind of uh, fight that. But it, it was it was a it was a system uh, that wasn't going to give justice to a black family and it for darn sure wasn't going to give justice to an outsider uh till was viewed as an as an outsider because he wasn't a part of that local community and they believed that they should be able to do whatever they want to do and most right go back to working that land and and things go back you know to normal and you just you'd be thankful that we didn't do anything to you uh, but I, I believe the whole system was working in concert uh, to to ensure that these men would be would be would be acquitted. Um, it's tough. I mean, it, but but again, it was par for the course uh, for for that that time, uh, especially in the in the family. Absolutely, and I think it's important to note too 
that shortly after uh, the trial ends mm -hmm. and both men are found not guilty, they're acquitted of, of kidnap and murder. Uh, Look magazine reaches mm -hmm. out to both men, Bryant and Milo, and offer them, I think it was $4,000 maybe, um, for the story of what really happened. And so they take the offer and they give the account of what they said happened and they admit to killing him. They admit to kidnapping him, taking him, killing him, dumping his body. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very gruesome detail. And you can look those up in Look Magazine. I mean, it, it comes out. But can't because do, of you can't double do anything jeopardy, with they him. can't go oh. after him again. You can't do anything with them. And, and it's just a, an absolutely disgusting, um, horrific uh, thought that the justice system in the South um, could allow something like this to happen. And, and even Mamie Till, uh, she writes letters to Eisenhower and the DOJ pleading right. with them to opening up federally, uh, especially after the Look magazine uh, article comes out. But, you know, Eisenhower is a right, guy who's right, very right. mum. I'm being very generous here. He, he's aloof on the ideas of civil rights. Uh, and so it falls on deaf ears with Eisenhower. The DOJ, therefore, is not going to really pursue it. And it is yeah. what it is. And, and that's, yeah. that's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, it, it, I just can't imagine um, that. Yeah. Um, let's fast forward a little bit to, uh, I believe it was 2017. Uh, a book was written um, called The Blood of Emmett Till. Um, I don't know if you've had the chance to read that book, uh, but The Blood of Emmett Till um, is is written by Timothy Tyson, and it's a it's a fascinating read on on the story of Emmett Till. But uh, the reason I'm bringing this book up is because while Timothy Tyson is doing research on mm -hmm. um, other civil rights issues, he gets a phone call from a lady that he kind of just blows it off. You know, right. you get these phone calls all the time. I'm sure as an investigative author, uh, he just kind of blows it off and. Right before he hangs up, she says, I think you'll be interested in this. And he says, OK, OK. And then she says who she is. She identifies who she is. I think she was the daughter or granddaiter of Miss hmm. um, Bryant. And so what we see here um, is Miss Bryant, the, the woman who alleged... Uh -huh that she was assaulted by Emmett Till, um, that she, uh, you know, he whistled at her, which, you know, uh, Wheeler Parker and Simeon Wright both right. confirmed that he did wolf whistle, as they called it. Uh, but he, that he, they never saw him do any of the other stuff she claimed. She actually comes out to Tim, uh, to the author. She lied. Uh, yeah. That all that stuff. Yeah, that she lied. That she lied under oath. Now, she did confirm that he did whistle, but that all the other stuff that she alleged mm -hmm. was completely false. Um, and, you know, that to me, it just leaves me feeling just hopeless. Like there's no there's no conclusion to this. Well, because yeah, to me, yeah, there's no, no justice right. for you're any right. of it. And the, the like, fact that she. um are you are you familiar with the the fact that that her memoirs are uh, that, that that this book deal is in place for her? With 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 yeah. the caveat, yeah, I, yeah. And did you like, see the sixty? No, I said with, with, kind of with the caveat that, she's, that they I mean, you can't really do they can't really release anything until she until she dies. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, and that was part of the reason she told the author of the Blood of Emmett Till. Right before she says anything, she, he says that she's kind of nervous to say something. And then she says, right. Well, they're all dead anyways, referring to Roy Bryant and, and J.W. Milam and all the Milam family and Bryant family that would have known what went on. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of spills the beans about her lying under oath. But, um, you know, it, how does this how does this story. um affect us in the short term and how 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 has it affected wow. us in the long term Gary? um I, I think 
I, I think short term, uh, it was it was as I've said, stated, it was eye opening. But I think it was. We can't lose sight of the fact that a, that a fourteen year old boy was lost in it was lost in a lie. Um, I, I think it was. Um, it's easy to see Emmett as this figure, this this, and I don't want to use the term martyr, but almost this sacrificial lamb, so to speak, of of the movement. And we lose sight in the fact that uh, that this is this is Mamie's son this is you know uh an actual person a kid you know i i have kids and just to, to think about what that that would have to be like i, I think it, it was uh i think I, I would make i think you make the argument that the murder of emmett till made the the integration of central high school in, in little rock arkansas harder um and 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 i even asked for those conversations with with terrence roberts from the little rock nine because as those as those kids are you know going into high school they're they're eighth ninth tenth you know i mean a tenth eleventh grade and they are you know coming off of just a couple summers ago with the Emmett Till story and um that that what became the little rock nine started as almost as a casting call of a couple hundred and parents wouldn't let them or they kept backing out i mean it I mean, all these things kind of domino, you know, into each other. Um, yeah. I, but I, I, I think long term, even more so, it's very hard to not connect dots between an Emmett Till and a Trayvon Martin or a Michael Brown or, uh, you know, any of these 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 situations, because what we what we often see is um, there's there's the difficulty of of the taking of the life, but this but the system often reminds us that no one will ever be held accountable, and that's the part I think is most most difficult. You yeah. know, um, I, I'm I'm often agitated when when we try to have these conversations and people rebut with you know well what about black on black crime. I'm like, well, that that's kind of a false equivalency for multiple reasons. Yes. One, uh, because um, if 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 Gary shoots uh, a black kid in my neighborhood, the data shows us Gary's going to prison for that, and he rightfully should. The data shows us though that if my white counterpart does the same thing, he's got a good chance of getting away with that. Um, the 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 issue uh also is that black on black crime is a is a media made up uh rhetoric that that really means nothing um department of justice statistics will show you that uh, about 70 plus percent of all crimes are committed by people within proximity um it'll show you that blacks kill blacks at about the same rate that whites kill whites and Hispanics kill Hispanics, Asians kill Asians. Why? Because no one says, you know what, I'm going to go rob and kill somebody. Let me drive three hours down the highway and see what I find, you know, but, but you've (laughs) never heard the term white on white crime on the, on the, on on the news. Uh, But it, but it sounds, you know, it it sounds much more salivating. Um, But we, you can look all the way through the movement and, and see how, this wheel is still is still turning. You can find it in, in every element. You may mention earlier when you're talking about Jim Crow, the, the, the economic part of it. It's really hard to have a conversation about race that doesn't include socioeconomics. Um, the, the fact that they thought they could go and kill this kid and continue to do business with with Uncle Moe's, you know, because this was about the business. Yeah. You look at the people that are on that on that on that uh, that jewelry, right, where you banned women and blacks from being on the jury. They're all, they're farmers and they're, they're dentists and they're local businessmen. They, they, that was, a, that's about, we need to do business together. I need to have credit at your store. Um, and the same thing is, is true. I just don't, in, in real time, I don't know if it's become profitable to fix the system yet. Yeah. I, 
that's a conversation that I would love to have with you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, whether it's on another podcast or just, you know, personally, but because um, it's, you know, I, I think you're, you're hitting it right on the head. And I, um, one other thing that I did want to point mm-hmm. out about uh, Bryant's store, um, you know, after, after the trial ends uh-huh. and, and time has passed, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, their their major clientele, their, the biggest percentage mm-hmm. of their clientele were were black Mississippians, and That's right. they stopped coming. And what ends up having to happen is they end up having to close mm-hmm. shop because they lose money. Um, and and that's all. I think what we we start to see, especially with the Montgomery bus boycott and things like that, is is ways that they can hurt the white business mm-hmm. owner in the pocketbook. And, um, and that's all kind of fitting into that, that narrative. But, um, Gary, I, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, just a, just a great, great bit of insight that you gave us today on Emmett Till, a, a story that I, I really hope that everyone will invest in, that this will encourage them to do more research, not only on Emmett Till, oh, yeah. but the thousands and thousands of other lynchings that go on during this period in the South um, where states like Mississippi are trying to keep things the way they were. Man, I appreciate, um, I appreciate, I appreciate you, brother. Stay well, man. I appreciate you having me, man. If you you had the opportunity, I would encourage anybody to to get over to uh, Brian Stevenson's uh, EJI uh, legacy museum and memorial. I mean, they're just pillars and pillars hanging from every county uh, that has, you know, any kind of documented lynching or, or, or burning. And I, and I think it would really be sobering for people to see that kind of to your point earlier, um, they're doc- it's not just Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. I mean, we're talking Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, Florida, North Carolina. I mean, it, it's, it's a really interesting and sobering uh, deal to, to really take in and, and grab grasp the 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 the, uh, the width and breadth of of what uh, folks were dealing with in that in that time I really hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Gary Jones he is a very passionate individual when it comes to African American history uh, he's not only a good friend but he is very very brilliant And we appreciate him coming on uh, the show. We hope to have him on in future episodes. As always, we like to encourage you guys to subscribe to the podcast. uh, Like the episode if you enjoyed it. uh, And leave us some feedback, either positive or negative. We're always trying to get better at doing this. And last but certainly not least, always remember, guys, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. We'll see you next time.